The island has been decimated. 98% is still without power, hospitals without power, running on generators, lack of fuel. Hi there, my name's Danielle Banks. I'm a meteorologist for weather.com, and we're taking you inside powerful stories behind weather events. And in a moment, we're going to be joined by Mr. Danny De Los Reyes, who is a musician, a percussionist, of course, best known with Zach Brown Band, who is helping Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. We're going to talk about the place that he grew up and how his family, who is still there, is doing, and where we are, of course, with the recovery effort. Danny, it is so good to see you again. It's been a while since we talked. The first time I got to meet you was right before you were going to see your mom, Mama Matilda. And tell me about that reunion for starters when you first got there. Well, first of all, great to see you and thank you for having me back. Um, When I went to go see my mother, this was less than two weeks after the hurricane. Uh, I was very, very nervous. I was just happy that she was alive. And especially after seeing all the pictures that were coming out. And I made it there, and she was okay, and she was happy to see us, and really good spirit. And then I said, Mom, I wanted to offer taking you out of here, especially after Hurricane Maria. But I kind of knew what was coming, how hard it was going to be to live there without power or electricity, because we didn't know how long that was going to be at that particular time. We still don't. I said, Mom, I came here to rescue you. And she said, "Uh, What? She uh, she started laughing, giggling, and uh, she said, "Rescue me! If anything, I'll rescue you." <laughs> that's um, that's how it went, and um, so she's there. She's doing great. Again, great spirits. My mom is, I don't know, the toughest lady I've ever met. She's eighty-five years old and going on sixty-five with energy, and she always makes herself up and. Every time I go visit, she, you know, she puts perfume on and lipstick and mascara and she makes sure that if we take her out any place that she's all made up. She's a tough lady, but she's not leaving Puerto Rico ever, as a lot of people are not. When Hurricane Maria first hit, and it's been eight months since that storm ravaged Puerto Rico and, of course, uh, Dominica, it took several days for you to even be able to get contact with her and remind people of how you actually were able to get in contact with her. It was just kind of luck of the draw that somebody reached you. Correct. So I was doing a benefit awareness uh, presentation in Tampa to bring awareness to our cause. And at that particular time, we were raising funds for the state of Florida and the city of Tampa uh, to give back somehow because of Hurricane, I believe it was Irma that had come across Florida and had caused a lot of destruction. So we were trying to do something. And I knew Maria was coming, but it was still a little bit, always, you know, a little bit questionable whether it's going to turn or not. Or And then I got a, as I was performing, getting ready to perform, I got a phone call and it was a person that I did not know, but uh, she said that uh, she had spoken to my mom. She had gotten a um, satellite phone and reached my mom and that my mom was okay and she was alive. So as I was getting ready to perform, I kind of broke down a little bit because I was just happy to hear that she was alive. So that was a uh, an impactful moment. I'll never forget uh, the attorney general from Florida happened to be there, and she'd been following the story on social media because I was posting, letting everybody know that I hadn't heard from my mom, and it was kind of tough. And so she said uh, she was all very very happy. She came out, and you know, I'm the attorney general. Uh, Pam is her name. And um, she said, Daniel, I was getting ready to take you 
take you on, you know, Air Force One. And little did I know that if I would have gone to Puerto Rico on Air Force One, she would have said, I'm not going on that. But yeah, it was intense when I found out that she was alive and I was just very, very happy. Now, this, just so you know, right then and there, as this is going on, there was no flights going in. The airport was destroyed, definitely to the south side. So we were going to actually go. I was asking Zach for help, my 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 boss, Zach Brown, and he said, Daniel, I'll help you um, to get a plane and possibly get a helicopter. So at that time, I was going crazy with my younger brother, Kamar de los Reyes, and we were trying to figure out how to get there. But in, right there, JetBlue somehow or another opened up a flight, and my brother miraculously got on that flight. He got a satellite beeper, and he went over there. As I'm getting ready, because I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to make it or not, as I'm getting ready to go private, so I landed, and he was texting me. I landed, and I'm rent, renting a car, which is it's no computers, no electricity. So so he was able to do it, and he he was the first one that actually made it across the island. This I'm talking about a week, seven, eight days right after Maria. I went there probably about a good 12, 13, 14 days. Uh, but he made it with JetBlue, who happened to put that flight, and then they discontinued for a minute because, for whatever reason, I guess there was still too much destruction and debris going on, and they weren't really ready. I mean, at that time, Red Cross, BMA, I mean, there, it was just chaotic. You know, when I first went, it was, uh, I can't even describe it, to, to be there and be in ground zero. Danny, if you wouldn't mind, take me back. Take me back to that time. We're going to play a little bit of sound. Just paint the picture for us. You know, for, for those of us who were, who were not there to see the sights, smell the smells, again, that sensory overload, paint that picture for us. When I first got back, the first trip, I was going across the island to set. There wasn't a leaf in the place. There was trees overturned. They're massive banyan trees, completely uprooted. Completely not just uprooted, but transferred a block over. There's buildings that look like pretzels that were gymnasiums for, for kids in local neighborhoods. As I traveled across the island, I was just overwhelmed with emotions, just looking at everything. It was just quiet. We videotaped the whole thing, so we have it documented. As I went and saw my mom, and met with her, one of the things that we went to do was go visit one of our family members that lives up in the mountains in this area. They live literally maybe a couple hundred yards from the top of the mountain. And as we got there, I could see the, the, the utter destruction that had taken place there. When I spoke to my family, they were saying the winds there are over 200 miles an hour because it was literally at a higher elevation than down there. What people need to see is this that just like it happens in the United States, people that live in the mountains are mountain people. People that live in the mountains in Puerto Rico are mountain people as well. They don't travel to the, the city. They don't go to the malls. They live in the mountains. When Hurricane Maria went through there, it went through the whole island. And what happened is it sat right in the middle and it just stayed there for a while. This Destruction just at a, a level unprecedented. As that's happening, you can just imagine the people that, just like when we go to the mountains, what do you feel when you go to the mountains? You feel 
safety. You have mountains, you have rocks, you have trees, you feel strength. These people were just being, it was destruction in your, all over the place. So when we finally saw my family's house completely gone and he's describing what happened as he's seeing his house gone and how he was hiding on like a lower part of the house, just hanging on, holding on, literally, as things are just blowing. How can you, how can you even like sympathize, empathize, or unless you've gone through it? So, but I'm seeing his face as he's telling me that he's lost all hope. That's one of the things that we need to kind of take into consideration so we can give that back to them. It's very, very important. Well, what you were able to do was channel that emotion into doing something with your nonprofit, dayglow.org, to raise funds to go in and get people what they needed. Uh, I know when I spoke with you, you were really committed to trying to get to sa- get satellite phones in there, which is which is expensive. I mean, that's an expensive supply, but you knew how important it was for people to try to get communication because I don't think people understand why the power has not been able to come back on, but because it's it's all above ground. It's not underground. So all of that was just wiped out. So I know that satellite phones were one of your primary goals to get in there. Uh, What have you been trying to get supply-wise in there since then? What I do is I am a good identifier. I identify people as good people to work with, organizations, churches, then universities. Also, I identify places and products that need help. So going to the products, what happens is because I'm there, and I am the founder, and I've taken this personally to go and actually buy the products that are needed and put them in the hands of the people that need it the most. I see what is needed. So, yes, definitely communication in times like that is, you know, everything's broken. So you need communication. People don't realize how valuable that is. So, for instance, ham radio operators were the only ones operating, being able to communicate. You didn't even know what was going on few miles away from me. But with limited funds, I can only do so much. So I have to be mindful of what I'm going to be getting. And I know you've wanted to go in and get water filtration kits. And Correct. There's just so many things but that are needed. The water filtration kits, that, that's a great example. So at the beginning, water and power, obviously, and communication. So I could afford water filtration kits and only so many. And uh, so that's what I was doing at the very beginning is taking a lot of water filtration kits and uh, going up. Uh, with the doctors from the University of Health and Science in Ponce. And um, we would go on convoys up to the mountains, especially. You don't have to go very far at that particular time to find people that or areas that needed help. But we would still go to town like Hajuya, uh, Adjuntas, which are mountain towns. And right there, we would find how many people needed water. And so I would go and we, as, as the doctors would set up a makeshift medical clinic, and so then I would, in turn, take the water filtration units, and I would demonstrate how to use it and how to keep everything sterile and all that kind of stuff. But just so you know, in that process, I got really sick. I got leptospirosis, which is a very uh, bad bacteria to get. And so in coming back from delivering aid, I was back on tour with Zach Brown, and I started feeling ill at the very end of the tour. And um, at first, I thought it was just a normal flu, but it was uh, leptospirosis. So I got really, really sick. I mean, it's, it's almost like dysentery. 
I'm glad that you're feeling so much better. And uh, that is absolutely incredible that you were able to make those connections uh, as a result of everything. Um, talk to me about, um, you know, as we as we go forward, you know, we are going to be facing another hurricane season. Atlantic hurricane season kicks off June 1st. And we were talking a little bit before that, you know, nobody ever really thought that they would take a direct hit from a Category 4 storm. I mean, Maria had sustained winds of 155 miles per hour. And I guess, what are the thoughts of people going into this upcoming season? Great question. Um, recently, we just came back. I had a, a couple of ladies, one in particular, that was the social worker in one of the makeshift medical centers that we associate with. And um, this is the social worker that brings in everybody, motivates everybody, helps everybody. And she broke down. I mean, she broke down heavy. So what's happening is that she says the, the government is now saying hurricane season is amongst us. It's coming. Start getting prepared. She said, that's the last thing I want to hear. Please don't tell me that when I'm trying to survive from the morning to night, every day. Tell me when the hurricane is coming a few hours uh, prior, and I'll duck. But I don't want to hear it right now because I'm barely making it. And she broke down, and my, and my, my brother and I had to hold her and hug her, and, and then she cried in our arms. She turned around and said, I needed that. Thank you. It was a heavy moment. So let's talk about what your plans are uh, going forward as we, as we journey into the summer more plans to go back with more support. Oh, absolutely. I'm not stopping. And just so you know, I want to explain the, the, the charity. So I have a charity here in Fayetteville, which I started about five years ago. It's called Dayglow Music, dayglowmusic.org. It's a music charity, music education charity. As I move forward, I did not know you can't just go from one thing to another, but at the same time, I was very, very creative on how I do it. So what happens is how I go out and assist with my charity is is that I always bring music and music helps in all sorts of different ways one is in healing one is in changing your disposition one is in instilling hope and as we take music to these different areas people get involved people sing people dance you you could see it their spirit changes even if it's for a little while it's okay but um, that's the first thing that we do. They need that. People are so sad. I mean, the reality is, is that we've heard a lot of stories about, you know, suicide rates spiking. Uh, and absolutely. people just really need something to lift their spirits. And we all know the power of music with that. Oh, absolutely. Music is a great, great tool for that. So that's the first thing that we do. We take music with us. The main charitable good that we bring. And um, with some basic aid that I identify and I'm able to bring to them as well. But what I did was I started a program called Dayglow Relief, which is dayglowrelief.org. That's where you can donate. I did give a little something. Really? Because I know you still need the help. And it's very, very easy. It's set up through a PayPal account, so it's super easy to do. Oh, thank you. Um, things are just growing. People are getting involved. People are helping. And um, so with that, I'm able to take the music over there. Uh, what I do is I, I land there. I land there with the help of my brother, Kamar Delacres, again. And um, sometimes I take a few other people that help me out tremendously, like Norman Goss. And um, last time I took uh, Gabriel and Paul Smith 
um, that are veterans with me to assist in helping. And it also helps them as well because it's, it's, they're, they're helping out. But I usually take a small team of people, not too, too big, just so that way we can move quicker. And um, with the help of Delta, I'm able to take quite a lot of cargo um, with their assistance. And then we get there, we rent a huge 15-passenger van, and uh, which I'm looking to do more of. And then we go across the island all the way to Ponce. That's where we set up shop. Then we get together with the Ponce Health and Science University and the doctors there. And Kanita Thompson, the director, who is an incredible woman, an angel. Uh, she has helped us out tremendously by uh, coordinating or in the, the, the convoys that, that we join to go up to the mountains. And that's, that's where we set up shop in Ponce. So every day we go at, you know, five, six, seven, eight in the morning. And we go in these convoys and then we take the, the, the music with us. I hire some musicians over there. Like I have a small team of, of people over there, uh, Miki Alvarado and Nana. But anyway, with their help, we're able to take the music. And that's how we start the whole event. So we take down all the aid. We start to playing the music, get people involved, and they feel like they feel like they're important. And they come over to us, and we shake their hand, and we give them a hug, and we really make it a personal experience. Because I, I tell you one thing: in, a, in giving out aid that I've learned, you just don't give someone, "Hey, here, let me just hand you this and goodbye." That's not how it really works, or that's not how it should be done. When you do it, do it genuinely by looking at them, looking at them in the eyes and expressing that I care. You know, I have found that when we do that, we are bonding with them and making friends. I've seen people already that I've gone before and they know me already and it's a wonderful experience. So what we're doing is um, we're just trying to do this better. And how can we do it better? We need more help. We need more funds. The more money that I'm able to collect, the better I can get. That's that's the bottom line. And it's going from, I mean, it's going through you directly there. Absolutely. That's that's key. That's very, very important. And you could see that it's not just the founder of this foundation that's asking for money and then he disappears and he's not there. No, I'm actually there. I can tell you I was in, in the doctor's office with leptospirosis from it. So I've taken this on, and and one of the things is I, it's, it's a big responsibility. You work hard for that money, and I know that. So you're giving it to me. You're putting a certain trust in this foundation, but in me. So I need to make sure that I come through. I just need to do it better. So I'm getting people to help out, uh, whether it be with small donations, medium, large donations, um, or pat in the back, uh, or, or a piece of advice, or Daniel, you're we see what you're doing. Um, all those kinds of things are very, very helpful, and they they help to move the whole thing. I know that we could spend so much more time uh, talking about about a variety of things, but I think one thing that I would really love to give you an opportunity to say is why should people still care about this cause? There are so many. I mean, number one, when people in general are going through hardship. I think we as human beings have a certain responsibility. I try not to pass judgment on anybody that doesn't do it because people are on different levels. But on top of it, in Puerto Rico, primarily, they're U.S. citizens that are our brothers and sisters, and they have given 
their sons and daughters for a very, very long time. So they've been part of our fight for freedom and equality. So Puerto Rico should be right now, number one, it should not be left behind. We don't do that. And um, it should always be in the forefront. Hurricane season is amongst us again, and Puerto Rico most probably will suffer something. So we have to let them know we're still here. They're not forgotten. If anything, let me be an example. Let me plant a seed. And you take it from there. You do what you feel. Well, you know, when disasters strike, um, you know, we hear these heartbreaking stories emerge, um, but also heroes and incredible stories of survival. And I know to so many people uh, within Puerto Rico, you, Denny de los Reyes, are absolutely a hero. And I know you've had a lot of angels behind you helping you along the way. And we will continue to support you in your journey. Please let us know how we can get your messages out in the future. And let us be a platform for you, okay? I appreciate that very much. And I will be back as long as you have me. So, guys, we're so glad that you joined us today. And we want you to listen to this podcast, again, just anywhere, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, Give us a five-star rating. Subscribe and and share your thoughts with us. We're on Twitter. You know that, at Weather Channel. And you can also find us on podcast.weather.com. 